We are in the fourth and final part of a series we launched way back in January on the mission of God, looking particular at what it is for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the work of the Satan, the devil. Uh, Jesus in John chapter 8 probably says more about who he is and what he is about than anybody else. Here he is described as a murderer from the very beginning, not holding to the truth. There's no truth in him. And then notice the last sentence. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And John contrasts this with Jesus who said, listen, I, on the other hand, am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we live in a world where Satan has come in, Satan has basically sown his lies throughout our culture, and Jesus comes along and says, but there is a way out, and it has to do with the truth, who I am, and so if you'll come to me, you'll have both the way, the truth, and you'll enter into the life that you're all looking at. I used this quote last week because, to me, it says so much. This is from a book called Live No Lies. And and it's kind of the inspiration for these these series of lessons that we're doing right now. And in it, the author John Mark Comer says this, Our fight with the devil is first and foremost, brothers and sisters, listen to me, first and foremost, a fight to take back control of our minds from the captivity to the lies and to liberate them with the weapon uh, or, or the weapons of truth. Now, what's Comer saying here? What Comer is saying here is that Satan, he, he has been sowing lies in the world ever since the beginning. And these lies become a part of, of just kind of the second nature of the world that we live in. And, and as we're growing up, we unfortunately are oftentimes taught some of these lies. Now, we're not taught them intentionally. It's not like mom and dad saying, hey, I want to I teach you something that's not the truth. That's not the case at all. It's just that unfortunately maybe mom and dad's bought into the same deceptive system. Maybe grandmother and granddaddy bought into the same deceptive symptom. And these lies literally infiltrate every part of our life. And so, here is Jesus come to set us free. I love this text in 2 Timothy. This is Paul as he's trying to encourage Timothy to hang in there. And he describes the world. This is from the message. I really love the way Eugene Peterson states this. But notice, God's servant must not be argumentative. Wow. We need to let that one sink in. We as the people of God, we don't need to be argumentative. Notice, but a gentle listener and a teacher who keeps cool. I like that again by Peterson. Working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey the truth. Just as people worked gently and firmly with us to get us where we are today. God first leads us into the truth, then uses us to lead others into the truth. As John Micah was talking, we are the presence of God in the world. He goes on and he says, You never know how or when God might sober them up with a change of the heart, repentance, and a turning to the truth, enabling them to escape the devil's trap where they are caught and held captive, forced to run his errand. That's what discipleship is all about. 
taking our minds back, moving out of the lives of the world into the truth that God's Word presents to us, and starting to do God's work instead of our own. Now, last week I mentioned two things that, that blocks us accepting truth. Number one is these preconceptions based on lies, based on the worldview that we grew up with. All of us have these. And you see them manifested in our relationships with one another, in our families, in, in the way we go out into the world to work, in the way we relate to people in our social circles. All of these are things that we have learned over the years, first and foremost, being raised in the families we were raised in, but then among our friends as we expand out into the world. And so these preconceptions, we all have them, and we bring them to the table, and we need to, you know, step back and go, okay, what is it that I'm bringing to my job, to my marriage, as a parent, as a friend, that may not be what God would want me to be in that particular situation? And then attached to that are the emotions wrapped up in these preconceptions, and boy, we can wrap a lot of emotions up in these. Now, we all start from different points and perspectives. That's the first thing I want you to realize. We're on a journey. We call, you know, the invitation here at, at Hendersonville, come join the journey. We're all on a journey. But we all, we all start at different points in that journey, depending on how we were reared. I mean, if you were raised, for instance, in a family that loved God, mom and dad who was committed to the Lord, who are serious about trying to bring their children up, as Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, make these commandments be a part of your life, let them be on your heart, impress them on your children. Some of you were raised in families where mom would read a Bible story to you at night. Or where a good Sunday school teacher would teach you about Jesus Sunday morning or Wednesday night or vacation Bible school. Perhaps you went to a, a Christian school or a Christian college or just to a, a, a college that had a good Christian student center attached to it. I mean, all of these are, are impacts that affect our lives and hopefully help us move closer to God so that we can escape the lies of the devil. But we all begin at different places, and we each carry our own unique strengths and weaknesses. Every one of us. I mean, if I were to say to you right now, identify maybe one or two of your biggest weaknesses, something comes to all of our minds. I mean, we could easily write them down and say, yeah, I struggle with this right here. I've struggled with it all of my life. Boy, it's something that just kind of weighs heavily upon me. We all come at the walk with Christ with different strengths and different weaknesses. Comer goes on in his book, Live No Lies, to say that all of us, as we, as we live life, answer three basic questions, either consciously or subconsciously, Okay? And the two questions we are the three questions we answer, first of all, is what is the meaning and purpose of life? And for many of us, that's wrapped up in another question, is there a God or gods? And for those of us, uh, let me go on to the second question, first of all, before I come back to this one. The second question is, who am I? Who am I? How do I identify myself? And then the third question is, how do I experience or find meaning 
uh, or meaningful life in, in this world. How do I do that? So let's look at these individually. First of all, what's the purpose of life? Or is there a God or gods? And most of us, when we answer that, come out of the Bible. At least I do. I know many of you, you were raised in church, you were taught to trust in the Bible. And so when we answer this question, we say, yes, we believe in the God of the Bible. If you believe in the God of the Bible, you believe that the Bible is God's word, it's the truth. It's it's what educates you to who God is. It is his self-revelation, and more than that, it is what tells us about God. When people ask me, why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you believe in the God of the Bible? This is one of the texts that I go to. Because I I really do believe it is one of the most powerful defenses of Christianity there is. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. John 3.16. I love what someone said this last week. They said football season starts, you know, this weekend. Yesterday, college games. We've got pro games starting up very soon. And, 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 of course, if you watch most of these games somewhere, you'll see someone holding up a sign, John 3.16. It's all about God's love. He goes on and he says simply, God is love. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Why did John, Micah, and Luke have a great weekend? Because they were experiencing love. I've got my youngest son, Kyle, my daughter-in-law, Andrea, and my two grandsons with me this weekend. In fact, when John and Luke were in Cincinnati, same time they were in Cincinnati, my family was coming through Cincinnati to come and see Pops and Gigi. And of course, as soon as the grandkids got out of the car, you know, here they come, Gigi! They go, you know, they come to Gigi's house, not to Pops. But anyway, that's beside the point. Y'all know what I mean. I mean, it's always Gigi's house or grandmother's house or whatever. You know, granddad's just kind of there, you know, to, to you know, hand out money and stuff like that. Anyway. <laughs> but it's about love. I mean, I'm sitting there last night and my youngest grandson Garrett's wiped out. Got up early in Toledo yesterday morning, drove all the way to Nashville, played hard all day. About 5 o'clock, he, he crashed. And he's laying there on his mom, sound asleep. And, and I, I, I take my camera out and I snap a picture. Because that's what life is all about. I mean, can we boil it down that at the end of the day it's about family, it's about relationships, it's about love? And so we as Christians would say we go to the Bible to learn about God. Now the world doesn't. You have others in the world, what is the meaning and purpose of life? They would say, well, it's it's to find happiness. I don't know how many people I've heard, I just want to be happy. They're in a bad marriage, and and the reason they're getting out of the marriage is because they want to be happy. Or, or, Or they're having problems at the job, and so the reason they want to get a different job is because they want to be happy. And, of course, this is built into the American system. I mean, can we all admit that when Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence, one of those unalienable rights is the pursuit of happiness? But if you turn over to the Bible, is that what the Bible says? I mean, does God want us to experience happiness? I think the answer to that is yes. But it's within a framework that God has set up, not a framework that we have set up. 
You know, you turn over to the book of Luke, chapter 12, you have a story of a man who struck it rich. And you know, if I went around the auditorium this morning and I said to you, would you like to be rich? I think almost all of us would say, of course I would. The only problem with that is if, if our desire is to be rich without filtering it through the lens of God, we end up in a bad place. Notice what the text says. Here's the man, his crops have come in, he's having to build bigger barns to store everything. And notice what he says, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, drink, uh, eat, drink and be merry. Or let me just define it with Leslie Chapman's paraphrase. You've got plenty, it's time to retire and enjoy life. Is that not the American dream? But the American dream without God is not a dream at all. In fact, the next words that God says is, you fool. This night your very life will be taken from you. Then who will all this that you've collected, whose will it be? And Jesus' point was, is that if happiness is all you're seeking, and it's not in relationship with God, then it's become an idol to you. It doesn't bring happiness at all. Who am I? Boy, that's a great question. Who am I? For those of us, again, who believe in the Scripture, we go all the way back to the very beginning. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Identity is a huge issue today. And by the way, nearly all of us remember, uh, those of us who have gone through our teenage years, what it's like to begin pulling away from home, beginning to gain our independence, beginning to identify who we are. I mean, you think about high school. I mean, who were you? Were you the real popular cheerleader? Were you the great football player? Or maybe, you know, look, the pitcher who could strike out anybody in baseball? I mean, were you the funniest guy in your class? You know, I, I, I tell people if I had to pick one of those, my qualification, if you've ever watched Big Bang, Big Bang has an episode in it where Leonard said, you know, the problem with me is when I was born, they named me Leonard, and the word nerd is right in the middle of my name. <laughs> you know, I, I was the nerd. And yet I would hope that my identity came more from my faith than what I was trying to be at school. Sin comes in and corrupts that image. We all know that. But the theme verse, the theme verse, this whole section has been 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all are being transformed back into His image. Into the image of Christ, which is the image of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. So how do we identify ourselves? We identify ourselves as the people of God, the image bearers of God. Now the world comes along and says, who am I? Fill in the blank. One of my favorite movies is a 1984 movie. And, and even though I'm not a huge baseball fan, you know, people are like, are you a baseball fan? I'm not. I've never been a big baseball fan. I enjoy going to a game occasionally, but you know, I'm just not into baseball like a lot of people are. But one of my favorite movies is a baseball movie called The Natural. Robert Redford and Glenn Close. And in that movie, you have uh, an actor who's Roy Hobbs. He's a baseball player. 
And boy, coming straight out of high school, he's one of the best players out there, and he's got so much potential. And then he gets involved in a horrible event that, that basically sidelines him for almost 20 years. And he finally comes back to the game as an old man, at least for baseball players. And the next thing you know, he's knocking home run, triples, doubles, anything, as, as one of the uh, sportscasters says, anything he wants to hit, he hits. And then he collapses due to this incident that happened early to him in his life. And you have a situation of where Glenn Close comes to see Robert Redford while he's in the hospital. And here's what Robert Redford's, you know, the character he plays says. For 16 years, I've lived with the idea that I could have been the best in the game. I could have broken every record in the book. And Glenn Close, who plays his basically high school sweetheart named Iris. Iris looks at him and just stuns him when she says simply, And then? I mean, who are you going to be then? After you've broken all the records. After everybody who sees you says, there goes Roy Hobbs, the best there ever was. What happens then? If you know anything about the movie, you know that the movie ends not with him being this incredible baseball player, but him throwing ball with his son that he never knew he had back at the farm. Why? Because ultimately the thing that matters is love. And the end of the movie got it right. And then how do I experience or find meaning in life? And again, for those of us who believe in the Bible, the answer is simply Look at what Jesus offers us, a life that is full, eternal life. It's real now, not in the future. Yes, it's real in the future, but it's real now. It's a life that's been framed by the ideals of Scripture itself as opposed to what the world looks for. Now, is there anything wrong with tailgating? No. I mean, there's a lot of people who can't wait for this to start. Boy, let's, let's head down to Titan Stadium. Let's enjoy a good grain. You know, let's cook out. Let's invite the friends. All of that's good. I mean, a lot of you will be cooking out tomorrow. We cooked out yesterday. We had a cowboy party yesterday. All of my grandkids dressed up like cowboys, and so I had to dress up like a cowboy. I pray those pictures never get out. Because <laughs> if they get out, y'all are going to make fun of me forever. There's nothing wrong with having a party. Okay, there's no, nothing wrong with spending the day at the lake going up to the mountains, going down to the ocean. All of those are good things. Unless that's the primary thing. And that is, again, when it becomes idolatrous. And so what happens to us is that life is filled with, with us living all of these questions out and, and what we've been taught running into conflict with beliefs that challenge what we already believe. I want you to think about your everyday life. You come home, what's the first thing you say to your spouse or to your kids or to your parents when you come home? I know what it is for me. June walks in and says, how was your day? And June works in the public school system. And then she begins to, you know, to share some of the challenges of working in the public school system. She then looks at me and says, how's your day? And most of you know I work here at church. And so I start talking about the elders. No, joking. <laughs> at least most of the time I'm joking. 
Now, you know, it'll be so-and-so's in the hospital and they're not doing good. So-and-so passed away and I had to go to the funeral home to visit with the family. Or, or someone came in and challenged me. Said, you said this Sunday. Not sure that's right. Now I've got to step back and ask myself, did I really say that? And if I did, maybe was I wrong? You know, we all have conflicts that, that we are faced with on a daily basis. I don't care whether you're in high school, working at the office, on the factory line. I don't even care if you're retired. You still are dealing with these issues on a daily basis. So how do we deal with them? How do we deal with marriage problems? And I know that we have some who are experiencing this here in here this morning. And so how, how do you navigate those waters? What about at work? I mean, are you just fed up with the way it's going at the office, with the fact that that friend that you trusted for, for so long decided, you know what, I'll just leapfrog over you to the next position up? I mean, how do you deal with conflict at the office when all at once the, the, the boss takes you in a direction that you're like, I'm not sure that's ethical. How do you deal with that? What about at church? I just typed in, church fights, this popped up. I, I'm serious, I'm like, whoo! And, and I'm pretty sure the guy with the tie owns a preacher, okay? I'm pretty sure of that. And uh, we've had conflicts here, haven't we? Every church does. When I preached on Corinth two or three years ago, one of the points I made on that series on Corinth is that Corinth's not the anomaly. Corinth is the average church. A church filled with problems, like Dennis said, where they don't know how to take communion properly. Where, where they got sin in the church. Where they got people who believe that their gifts are better than other people's gifts. People who are taking people to court with one another. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Why? Because conflict's a part of life. Because we live in a world of both truth and lies. And so how do we as Christians navigate conflict? These different beliefs and ideas that come our way. And, and I appreciate Brian Shepard. Brian's been sick last week. Brian, glad you're doing better. Glad you're here today. Uh, Amy, uh, Amy's mother is going through some health issues right now. So they've had their plates full. But he was kind enough to, to write me some notes and say, Les, can I just give you some suggestions on how to, how to talk about this? How do you deal with these conflicting ideas? First of all, what's the truth? What are the facts? You know, we live in a world where truth now becomes kind of based on, you know, the person who, who believes it. And yet at the same time, we need to drill down and ask whatever conflict, marriage, what's the truth of what's going on in this relationship? Work, tell me what really is happening there. Can we drive, you know, below the emotions and get down to what the truth of the situation is? And of course, as Christians, we're going to be constantly driven back to say, what does the Bible say about relationships? What does the Bible say about jobs? What does the Bible say about how we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we just come to an agreement on what the truth is? Now, is that easy? Not always. Being because we've all been taught different things. And listen, we live in a world where you run into sometimes people that you go, you believe what? I mean, you're aware that there are people who still don't believe we've landed on the moon? Now, if you're here today and believe that, I'd be happy to discuss it with you. I don't know I can convince you, or you, you can convince me of your view, but I'd be happy to listen. 
But there are people that still doubt that because they doubt the government. There are people that believe that the world is flat. I don't know if you've noticed that, but that's a, that's a, a, a new phenomenon in the last few years. But you have people who believe that the world is flat. And again, if you believe that, I'm not trying to make fun at you at all. I just fundamentally disagree with that concept. And I would be happy to talk to you about it. There are people who don't believe the Bible is inspired word of God. If you believe that, I'd love to talk to you about that. I mean, the list just goes on and on. But the first question you've got to ask is, what is the truth? And, and we need to recognize that some of those are, are opinions we have. They have strong emotions attached to them. I mean, sometimes we get so attached to a belief that, boy, it's hard to let go. But what is the truth? Number two, what are you hoping to accomplish? What's your goal? Brian helped me especially with this one. He says, you know, the goal for a lot of people who come in, for instance, for marriage counseling is maintain the status quo. I mean, I like the way it is right now. Let's just keep the status quo. Churches do this oftentimes. You know, we just want to keep the church exactly the way it is. Do you know if you keep the church exactly the way it is, it'll eventually die? The church has to constantly be, be growing and, and, and be adapting and, and changing I, th I think about communion, the way we took communion today. I was at a church last week up in Kentucky. They had remodeled their church building. I walked in, and the communion table was gone. And so I turned to one of the elders, and I said, What do you do with your communion table? I'm looking around the building. I can't find it. And he said, Y'all don't use those little cups? <laughs> yeah, that kind of makes communion tables no longer needed, doesn't it? Now, do I have emotions attached to communion tables? I do. I like the words that used to be in front of them. Do this in remembrance of me. But it's just a thought, just the emotion I have. It's, I'm pretty sure they didn't have communion tables in the first century like that. Don't upset the apple crop. You see, if I turn in my fellow employee who's cheating the boss, that's going to cause a big ruckus in the office. If I confront my spouse over doubts that I have, that might upset the detente that we have between one another right now. If I challenge my teenager, my sister's a school teacher, one of her biggest frustrations in public education today is students who, who are not honest. And if she catches them, the parents oftentimes don't deal with the dishonesty in their kids. They deal with the teacher who caught it and pointed it out. Now, is that all public schools? Oh, no. No. And do all teachers struggle with that? I suspect to some degree, because I simply know the way I was when I was a teenager. But boy, it's a challenge. Don't upset the apple cart. Or, are we seeking the truth? Do you want to know what the truth is? And do you want to be honest with it and deal with it? And then finally, number three, how do you feel about the decision you've made? I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, we've got to say, okay, yes, I, I'm in a good spot because I dealt with a difficult issue. Yes, it was, it was a struggle to get here. But you know what? I now feel more Christ-like than I did before, which is ultimately the goal of all of us. 
So how do we deal with all of these different beliefs that we have, that we've brought in? Tonight, here at the building, we, we've got a small group. We're going back to our small groups. Actual small groups begin next Sunday night, but here at the building, we're going to go back to them tonight. And we're going to just kind of deal with, how did Jesus deal with, with beliefs in, in the Jewish faith that were not based on the facts of, of what the law taught? How do you deal with that? But ultimately, we go back to what Paul told Timothy, let's love people, let's be gentle, let's be kind, and let's move toward Christ-likeness. To be set free by the truth, that's what we all want. That's what you want in your life. It begins with a life that walks with Jesus Christ. And if you've never obeyed the gospel, what are you waiting for? Why don't you do it right now? Let's together we stand and sing.